0: Hello and welcome to another theatre podcast for Arts Equator I'm here with Naeem Kapadia Hello And today we'll be discussing Forbidden City Portrait of an Empress by SRT This is the, how many stagings has this been now? This Three? is uh, staging number
1: four Staging number
0: four, wow
1: I think this is probably one of the big musicals which I just haven't seen any any of the iterations of So it was kind of fresh eyes for me
0: yeah, it is a bit sad, really. How do we call ourselves theatre reviewers when we haven't seen this? Because it is a fairly landmarky show, isn't it? Yeah. So give me, if you
1: will, the lowdown on what is Forbidden City Portrait of an Empress? So Forbidden City Portrait of an Empress is basically the story of the Empress Dowager CT, and I'm not pronouncing it right, obviously. Nor, nor will I. Yeah, but um it's basically the story of this one lady spanning some 50 years or so and it starts with her um, having her portrait painted by an American artist and she basically tells her life story mm. starting from the time she came into the royal court at the age of 16 as a concubine and you know the son she had and the sacrifices she went through. and ultimately it's a story of the survival of this one yeah. woman you know through a tumultuous period and through a uh, tumultuous court. Book by
0: Stephen Clarke and Dickley, music by Dickley, and lyrics by Stephen Clarke. So pretty close collaboration between the two of those, both contributing to the book. But then it is sung through, so lyrics are book, and it all works together with that. There's no spoken scenes there, are they? Yeah. Let's start with the book, the plot, the story.
1: Thoughts on that? Okay, you know, you come to Forbidden City and there's so much hype about it as this, you know, the most successful original musical Singapore's ever produced Mm. and it was the opening show of the Esplanade and everything. I just felt that it seemed to almost pander to this Western audience. Why do we need that, that gateway? We have this American artist, we have this British journalist, a little banter between them. Oh, I'm going to the great city to meet the empress oh tell me how that goes and then you yeah. know that is the gateway we get and then in between we have these exotic little characters and again it ends with those two so i just didn't quite like that framing device which i felt didn't add anything and then there's obviously that sort of a feel-good romance thing which yeah these two
0: ang characters get together kind of at the end until one bit be- i'm Okay, generally speaking, spoiler alerts, but this is a 15 year old show. So if you care that much about spoiler alerts, then <laughs> good luck to you. <laughs> yeah, they look like they're going to get together for a longest time. There's a romantic subplot. In the end, they don't. But you could count the number of people in the audience who cared about that on the fingers of no fingers, I'm sure. Yeah. It really just doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think for me, that was the issue. And I think once we sort of get past that whole preamble which for me was quite tiring yeah. oh you know this naive American girl coming to the big royal court meeting this person and into the story itself I think that's when things start getting better and I couldn't help thinking why can't we just start with the story of this woman why do we need yeah. this gateway which I think for me you know in Singapore especially yeah we just don't need... It's patronising, I it think. It is.
0: It really feels like it's been written for an exoticized Western eye. Yeah. And can you think of a more literal framing device than yeah. I'm going to paint a picture and put it in a frame? I mean, the first scene, yeah. you see the frame. And it's just completely unnecessary. The idea that there would have to be a Western picture and a Western way in in order for this story to have shape or validity... Really problematic for me. and I resented seeing Earl Carpenter playing uh, George Morris and the journalist and Stephanie Lee playing the uh, portrait painter, I really resented them every time they came on. And I resented seeing the little bits of set that belonged to them. Yes, yes. Downstage left and downstage right for the entire show. It never moved. You've got these wonderful sets in between. Then you've got a little white easel on the one hand downstage right. Little, a little armchair. Little
1: recline armchair thing. And that little easel with the portrait. Yeah. And I think, yeah, for me, it's quite literal framing. You have the characters, you have these small bits and i just think it somehow detracts from the grandeur and the majesty of that story which in every respect should deserve to get its day in the sun and and i think that's one thing i felt just didn't work for me
0: yeah well let's put that aside so let's think of the story within the frame which is the life of the dowager empress cc how about that how was that handled for you
1: Uh, okay i think as a story i thought it was actually handled quite well i mean obviously we go in with prejudice because the first thing we yeah. hear you know there's this big opening number which which is very catchy dragon you know lady. dragon lady you know she's this evil woman who's been on the throne she's basically been around for like half a century mm. she's rumored to have murdered her son and you know reviled by the public and ruined every- china and its yeah. strengthened in the world so we want to find out who this person is and she tells us her story and i think it's it's interesting because you obviously see the personal tragedy behind it and i couldn't help thinking actually and this is again the singaporean theater reviewer in me um how this was a bit like emily wasn't it yeah
0: yeah yeah. okay I, is, I hadn't thought of that but yeah but, but sure. it, it
1: really was it's kind of yeah. your emily of emerald hill that big matriarch
0: loves her son kind of kills her son. I mean, I I didn't, really.
1: I didn't go in thinking about it, but it sort of occurred to me that I don't know whether that may have affected Dick and Steven. When they so were... we
0: need to get Ivan Hang playing it yeah, in the next yeah, stage. Yeah, of... we,
1: we must. But it's exactly that sort of thing. It's like, you know, you have this cold, hard exterior, but then the layers are peeled and, hmm. you know, you get this story and it is told well. And I think one thing I liked about this as a musical was that The songs advance the plot. The songs are not just fluff and, you know...
0: Maybe a couple of exceptions to that that we might come to later, but But, generally speaking, I'm with you. For the most
1: part, yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't know. For me, I just thought it tried to tackle far too much. As you say, it covers a sweep of 50 years. And for me, unless you're writing a multi-volume historical novel you're going to get so much of the drama diluted if you attempt to do that. Yeah. So it becomes for me a series of join the dots and a very, very paint by numbers kind of exercise. Yeah. And there was a line delivered by Benjamin Chow playing uh, the emperor's brother, was it? The rightful emperor's brother who feels like he should be on the throne. Towards the end of the play, he says something like, that was a long and bloody civil war. And I'm like, Anna felt like about four and a half minutes. And some of the plot points within this seem to me to justify an entire play on its own, and I would have been really interested in it. Yeah. There's a moment where after her own son has died, possibly of syphilis, possibly of smallpox... Yeah. It looks like uh, the Empress is going to lose her position on the throne to this brother played by Benjamin Chow. But then, in what must have been historically an incredible coup of political maneuvering, she installs her own nephew on the throne. I mean, I want to see that play. That must be fantastic. Yeah. But there's no explication of that. We don't know how she manages it. He He literally appears on stage... And then there he is, and now he's emperor. And I can't, there's nothing
1: for me to bite into. Yeah, yeah. And in the same way, so he comes on stage, and in the space of about 30 seconds, he basically grows up yep. and, you know, has all these grand plans to reform the court. And obviously it ends in ruin, and there's basically massacres all around. Yep. And then he disappears. And again, we're sort of left with the present. And I'd quite like to see what actually happens to him, because I don't think... That's the end of his story as well. So I think the danger is just trying to sort of compress so much. Oh and- yeah.
0: Well, at the time that you that you mention, when the the nephew emperor had kind of gone away and, and China's lying in ruins, that is where for me the song that uh, that doesn't advance the plot happens. Uh, it's called "Why Dream of Love," and. It's the, the catch of it is, you know, I've, I have did this all for love. Oh, where is the love? Why dream of love before you die? Yeah. And it's not about love. Why are you singing that song here? It doesn't make any sense. It's about the ruin of your political ambitions. Yeah. It's about the fall of your nation's power. It's about being thwarted at every turn, despised and reviled incapable of controlling your own story there is a fantastic number to write there the the dramatic situation is so rich but that number is not why dream of love no matter how catchy it is and it's a good song yeah up until that point i was pretty much with all of the songs that lived within the main story the songs which were about the Angmoor framing device i could not care less about but no you're right all the other songs from you did yeah. advance the story but then that put this weird irrelevant cap on it all it's not the last song but it is kind of the last song within the main story yeah, that matters w- i did not get that and that was all.
1: basically the sort of soul kit chan vehicle where she's kind of the yep. only one on stage so i mean obviously delting it, out, it out so i mean apart from the fact that she does sing well i was like yeah I'm not sure how this adds to the story, but I mean, yes, as you said, I mean, apart from that one, I thought as a musical, you know, they have done well. The lyrics are catchy. I mean, I think I would struggle to say I walk out, you know, being able to think of five songs which I can yeah. hum. Um, any songs that really stood out for you? Well, Dragon Lady, obviously, the opening piece, I think was a very nice sort of catchy ensemble Mm. piece um you know obviously it's mainly done by the the two western characters but you know there was a nice piece and i think also in terms of the grandeur of the set just kind of giving you that sense of scale because that's when i think the stage opens up properly for the first time so that was quite nice i quite liked the one um the kind of very male song and i think it was now China has a son. Yeah. Um that one I thought there was some nice choreography going on there. And mm. I think this one was um the young prince um and you know all his kind of posse and you know the record keepers played by Sebastian Tan and Dwayne Dwayne Lau. A yeah. uh, couple com- of Dwaynes
0: in this, so we have to of check. A couple of Dwaynes.
1: Yeah, I had a moment there. And a <laughs> but, lot of Tans. <laughs> but yeah, so I thought that sort of male song was a, was a very nice one which I which I did like. I also like the song, I think, which uh, again, very, very early on where Hmm. the whole character of Yehinara, who was the empress in her younger days uh, when she was still a concubine, when she was just introduced and, you know, she came in with this with this group of like other concubines and they were doing this kind of little dance That was a well
0: staged piece wasn't
1: it? Yeah, very beautifully choreographed yeah. as well with the Chinese you know handkerchiefs. And And
0: they did a really nice job of controlling the foreground but also keeping a textual richness in the background. Yeah, it was yeah. very
1: very well staged there. By director Stephen Dexter. Yeah, for me watching a musical, especially a musical which is going to be at the Esplanade where you have that sense of scale, your eye wanders, you have someone yeah. belting out a song in the middle but you're not going to spend three minutes looking at that person yeah. you're going to see what's going on and and there was a lot to see i mean i still remember that there was one scene where i think um Dwayne and sebastian as the two court jester slash record keepers yeah. were kind of doing a bit of a chinese opera performance and you see all the other members of the court watching them and they're facing the audience and you know your eye can wonder and you see like very interesting expressions you know one of the girls looking horrified and jumping up and two characters whispering sweet nothings into each other's ears you know, there's a yeah. lot of detail that goes into just the staging and the sort of blocking of the characters and you're dealing with a large cast you know yeah. at any point in time 20 30 people on stage so i thought you know just in terms of direction and just in terms of the, the variety of scenes which we have, uh, it was handled very well. It was, yeah. It definitely was.
0: I think, for me, the best song standalone was the one I mentioned that did not work in plot terms, which was Why Dream of Love. I mean, the melody there, it's soaring, it rises in the middle, it's a real belting song. It's, 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 it's a true Kit-chan vehicle, right? It is. <laughs> but also, it's a really dickly song. And I actually went on the preview which was the day before National Day. And so, if I'm being absolutely honest, the best song that evening was not any that's technically within Forbidden City. It was Home, which we all had a sing-song with in the curtain call. Kit Chan sang Home and so did everybody in the Esplanade. Oh, that it was, was really fantastic. Nice. It was yeah, really, yeah. really lovely. But the end of that song is um, for this is where I know I'm home. Yeah. And the end of Why Dream of Love is, Why dream of love before I die? And it's like, so the best song in the musical is kind of like, oh. (laughs) There's a lot of similarities throughout the music. So while everything works and works really well, I don't know if there's anything in there where I'm, blown away and think I'm just I I love this yeah and normally I wouldn't care too much but because I think I'm a little bit underwhelmed by the book I do want that one thing that I really take away and I didn't quite supply it for me um any standouts in the cast for you
1: yeah so I mean I think Obviously, we should talk about the main character, the Empress. And the big change in this staging was that instead of it being played, um Kit Chan playing the younger version and Sheila Francisco playing the older Empress, what we have in this version is quite interesting. We have three actresses playing her. So we have Cheryl Tan playing the young kind of concubine. Up to
0: world 20s ish.
1: Yeah, pretty much the first act, yeah. essentially. And then Kit Chan coming in. In for sort of, the 30s, middle of 40s the 30s, 40s 30s, yeah. 40s middle of the play and then you know the older character Sheila Francisco is sort of there throughout um, and you know I think that was nice I liked that you know variety and mm. just her across the different ages but it also brought out different aspects of her character. And, you know, Cheryl Tan is quite a new performer. Yeah. Um, now I have seen her actually only in one main thing. And that mm. was Romeo and Juliet. I also saw her in Beauty World. Yeah. And I have to say, I was not blown away by her in Romeo nope. and Juliet. I thought, she was competent it wasn't a strong production yeah though, to be fair she was she was competent but you know it was just this kind of very studied girlish sort of gait, which i don't know i just for me it just didn't work very well but that being said i thought she did a very good job she did very here. well
0: vastly improved from what i've seen her before yeah
1: so i was very very impressed and i think one thing which i like she's obviously a better actor than she's a singer and i think one thing i enjoyed was that Metal, which she slowly brings to the character. You know, this naive girl coming in at the age of 16, being swept up in the court intrigue, bearing a son, but then wanting that son to be named the heir. And, you know, there's that scene where she's sort of desperate and her emperor's lying on his deathbed and she sort of grabs the four or five year old son and tries to push her way into the court. And, you know, there is that sense of this woman fighting to ensure her survival.
0: And she's so small, so she has to work really (laughs) hard to present that sense of force. Yeah,
1: so I thought she did that very well.
0: And the book doesn't support it either because the book doesn't really show her struggles as much as, say, she struggles. Yeah. Yeah. So we started with her. Yeah. And then... I guess we'll come to Kit-chan last because as you say, uh, Sheila Francisco is telling this story and so is often on stage even when the other characters playing the same part are on stage.
1: And I mean, to be honest with you, I think for me, Sheila Francisco was uh, by far the best performer. Loved her. I thought she was absolutely fantastic. And I think just in terms of the gravitas she brings to the role, Mm. the, the emotion, and I think you really get the sense of a woman who's lived through this era with her presence on stage. And also, again, going to the direction, she is on stage a lot of the times when, you know, her younger self is played by another actress and we see her sort of reliving those scenes and, you know, kind of having those emotions playing back. And that was done very beautifully. And, you know, at the end of the day, there's this haughty exterior of this imperial queen who kind of you know everyone reviles but there's this small girl who just wants to be understood inside and yeah. she conveys that so powerfully i think
0: and she never feels like she's having to do too much yes. you know she doesn't
1: fling anything
0: around she doesn't overstrain her voice but there's a richness in everything she does which really does communicate to a venue as large as the Esplanade. yeah
1: so it's it's your classic stage presence yeah.
0: um so Kit-Chan was the third link in the Triumvirate
1: of Emperors. I'm going to assume that's correct. Kit-Chan. Kit-Chan, I mean, obviously, uh, singing sensation. Uh, I think for me, it was just interesting because, you know, this play has always been billed as a Kit-Chan vehicle and mm. because she played, you know, um, the entire younger scenes by herself in in the previous productions, um, it was quite a change where she now had a very abbreviated role. Yeah. I mean, not to say that she did not have a couple of good scenes. She has that song, um, which you mentioned earlier, yeah. the Why the Dream of Love song, which she just does a fantastic job in. And I think that's the sort of, you know, uh, the, the the song you go to get your money's worth, um, mm. you know, of Kit Chan, basically. But I just unfortunately felt I didn't really get much of a presence, much of an impact Um, from her, just because you see her only in a couple of scenes.
0: And also, she's not in the most emotionally potent scenes. As I said, the main song that she sings there is irrelevant. And Cheryl has the job of establishing the character and showing her major developments. Uh, Sheila Francisco has the kind of the retrospective summing it all up approach. Yeah. And there's an extent to which you could call Kit Chan's contribution, or the contribution of her role... As just a bit of a random cameo.
1: Yeah. That's basically what it felt like, you know. I mean, I think interestingly in Bollywood productions there's this thing called an item number. Right. Where you have basically a famous actress who comes in for one song and they're yeah. not part of the play at all. And this felt a bit like that. Yeah. It was like, okay, well, let's just have Kit Chan in for about three scenes to do one really fantastic song, and then after that you sort of forget about her because you know, there's all the other developments in the plot, you know, the son growing yeah. up and the fighting and everything. So so, you know, I didn't feel I got my Kit-chan... Fix. Yeah, fit Kit-chan fix, if you like. I mean, not to say she did not do a good job. Sure. But,
0: yeah. I mean, I think she also suffers a little bit because when you consider Cheryl, who's in her 20s, and Sheila, who's obviously much older, you kind of think, well, they don't look or act much alike. But on the other hand, over 50 years, they could change one into the other. But then you put Kit-chan in the middle of that, And she is neither like Cheryl nor like Sheila in physicality or speech patterns or size or anything. And so that is a little bit jarring for me. Yeah, it
1: just felt a bit incongruous, I think. And I think perhaps Cheryl could have just done the whole thing. Yeah, I think she probably could. She could probably have done the whole thing. But I suspect because Kit-chan has been so associated with this show, they wanted to bring her and give her that part. But... I just wish that she had been given a bit meatier role, you know, that allowed her to also flex some of her acting muscles as well. have to agree. But I think just moving away from, you know, the obvious lead characters, I think one thing which was very nice, it's been 11 years since we had a restaging of this production. Mm. And in 11 years, we've, had obviously a lot of um, fresh talent that's come to the Singapore stage. So I was very happy to see um, a couple of the um, newer generation of actors. Um, I'm just going to single out Benjamin Chow. Ah, um, Because Benjamin Chow, again, fairly newcomer. He was in Rent by Pangdemonium. He was in Tango, also by Pangdemonium. And he was in the LKY musical. he
0: won the Best Supporting Actor. Supporting Actor. Yeah, and that was obviously this team. Deservedly
1: yeah and um he obviously plays the kind of negative character he's the brother of the emperor who wants to go on the throne and trying to thwart you know empress at every turn and taking her son away from her and training his own son to sort of you know lure him into bad ways and he really conveyed that evil and even i felt there was a change you know from the first half to the second half where he becomes sort of older and i think he starts having a beard and he has this kind of old, evil, uncle sort of um, vibe to him. Um, I thought that was a very powerful presence.
0: On the night I saw it, I I wasn't all that into Benjamin Chow. And, you know, for me, he is one of the most exciting actors at the moment. In Tango, he had moments where he kind of acted as a narrator or a neutral character and then stepped into the character he was actually playing in the show. And in those moments where he switched... You saw the physicality change and you thought, oh, it's just a trick. You know, I could do that with my shoulders. I could do that with the way I walk and the way I hunch. And then three seconds later, you thought, no, he is deeply inhabiting that character. Really impressive. Whereas here, I don't know, for me, it was just a bit TV Disney mustache twirling villain. Yeah. Trying too hard to fill the space for me.
1: I mean, I think the thing is, it's it's always hard in a musical of this scale. And you have to do a lot of very theatrical actions, yeah. like swinging your hands around. And I thought he did a good job in conveying that character. You know, it's... It's a bit hard to keep up sometimes when you have this constantly changing cast. And well, also,
0: I mean, I saw it on the preview. So yeah, there's
1: every chance uh, that he was fantastic by the time you saw it. And I mean, look, I know we weren't going to talk about the Ang Moore characters, but Stephanie Lee, I mean, she mm. she did do a good job. And she actually was last seen in Singapore in Venus in Fur. Um, oh, I didn't see that. Which was um a couple of years back. And she did a fantastic job in that. She's done work on Broadway and everything. Um, And she's a very good kind of straight character to sort of bring you into a different world, um, you know, without, again, drawing excessive amounts of attention to herself. So I, I did like that. I mean, Earl Carpenter, on the other hand, I thought was really did not need to be seen quite as much.
0: He really felt like he knew he shouldn't be in the play. So he was having to justify his presence with big, abrupt movements yeah. and growly vocals. Having said that, he can do his job. He's fine. I just, for neither of them do I blame the fact that I did not want them in the play. Yeah, yeah. No matter who played that, you could have got Mark Rylance there. Yeah. I would have said, Mark Rylance, just go home, do something else. Yeah. There's no role for you here.
1: yeah. And yeah, and so there were a couple of other actors. I mean, there was um, Tan Shao Chen, who was Mm -hmm. playing the young prince, um, and he was fairly good again, you know, sort of bumbling around Mm -hmm. and then getting lured into the world of the brothel and everything. He had a nice little bit. Um, And then obviously the the two comic characters, Uh, Dwayne Dwayne Lau and Sebastian Tan. And I think in the last version, it was Hosanne Leong and Sebastian Tan. Mm. But, you know, the crowd just loves them. And they come on stage, just yin and yang, black and white, twirling around a bit camp. And it's all very fun and very theatrical.
0: Oh, it's complete nonsense. But it's the kind of nonsense they do really, really well. Yeah,
1: it's like a panto bit in the play.
0: And actually, I think you need that kind of comic yeah. in something that is that could otherwise be lugubrious yeah and it needs this little injections of yeah. pace and fun to keep it going along I thought they did very 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 well um uh, set quite
1: big quite epic quite interestingly used yeah. Yeah, um, I actually thought the set was very well employed because one of the problems I have with the Esplanade is the scale.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, it, it's such a big stage that if you do not have the right set or do not employ the right blocking... You look very much like you're trying to do a black box play in a school kind of quadrangle, and it's <laughs> it's not very nice. Uh, but I think one thing they did here was Francis O'Connor, the set designer, and I'm not sure if she did the exact same design. Well, in... looking
0: at the centerfold of the program where it says production pictures from the 2003 and 2006 runs, it's really quite similar.
1: Yeah, but the main the main motif was was these very very high um windows, columns mm. basically of these windows which are then kind of configured into different spaces so you have like the expanse of a court and then the confines of a smaller room
0: and it serves as exteriors and interiors yeah.
1: um, and just because they were very high, 15-20 feet high you really give that scale um, which I think was very very um, nice and it's a simple set it's nothing too elaborate, obviously you have elaborate mm. costumes, Um. there were co- a couple of nice scenes, I-, I love that scene when they unveiled the summer a palace yeah. um there was this um cascade of lanterns that sort of slowly you know kind of flew up into flew the... up into the air and then streamers all mm. over and then the scene where the destruction happens with um, the fire and you have again you know things some of the panels of the windows falling and down, down. So, so there is that sense of you know epic scale i mean i think
0: if you'd asked me to guess i would have expected a bit more kind of weight to the set a few more levels if you think of the yeah. phantom of the opera grand staircase yeah, yeah. thing but actually i thought this really worked it allowed them so much versatility yes and it was a canvas to paint with light what wonderful lighting oh design. yes uh, yeah, rick fisher is rick uh, fisher, uh, the lighting yeah, designer here
1: yeah um yeah, and it's just, you know, that entire palette. And it's not as simple as just, oh, it's bright blue and bright red mm. and, and, and white. It was just also calibrating it alongside the emotions. Uh, yeah, so contrast,
0: depth, the angles, some of the shadows that are thrown. Wonderful, wonderful colors and shading. And I
1: think that that's why rather than kind of having that fancy three-tiered set, just having this simple set of windows just provided the perfect canvas yeah, really for, for like, you know, just wonderful lighting work. So that was done very well. So I think on the production side, you know, lighting sound sets, obviously we have, you know, just a great variety i mean you obviously have the imperial chinese costumes but such strong design work but but you know i think apart from the main characters there was the ensemble cast and they would come in you know in a whole spectrum of different um you know costumes again just just fantastic work and it's one of those things you really look out for just to give you that that um that sense of grandeur in painting this scene and bringing it you know, to life, uh, before us, young, young De Rong, who did the costumes again, just fantastic work. Yep. So, well, I guess let's sum up. Should we uh, should be seeing another staging in a couple of years? What do you think? I would not doubt it. I mean, the thing, the thing is, and I think this is probably more of a postscript comment. You know that there was a lot of talk about Forbidden City being, you know, the first Singapore show to make it to Broadway. Yeah. Is this the kind of you know, show we would like to represent Singapore. You see, that's where I have slightly mixed feelings. I have no doubt that it's a great production and it's something which, you know, yeah, like Emily of Emerald Hill, of course, put it up in a number of years. I think people should see this. It's a great showcase of Singaporean talent. Um, But yeah, I think the framing device for me was problematic and I wouldn't like that sort of gateway into this fairly strong story you wouldn't
0: want that to be your overseas representation and, and, really, and not
1: you? only that it's a story set in imperial china there is nothing singaporean about <laughs> the plot <laughs> which you know just makes me scratch my head a little when you say that oh i want this to be the play that represents singapore on an international stage yeah okay well i think we're pretty much out of time there so thank you very much naim lovely
0: to have you thank you and bye bye